welcome to our second episode of season two of the How to Grad School podcast. We're coming to you today from the unceded territory of the Lekwungen peoples and the Esquimalt and Songhees nations, also known as Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. My name is Becca Edwards. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm one of your hosts. And I am the other host, and my name is Sarah Davis, and I use she, her pronouns. This episode, we're going to talk about planning in grad school. We'll read a listener's question wondering about how to get grad school work done while raising kids and talk about two hot tips for planning. So what we know about planning is... So we use self-regulated learning as our main theory, which is defined as when learners systematically activate and sustain their cognitions, motivations, behaviors, and affect or emotions toward the attainment of their goals. And that comes from Shunk and Green 2018. And so when we're talking about planning in self-regulated learning, I think it's important to separate planning and doing. I think often in grad school, we try to do both of those at the same time, and that can make it difficult to know how to start a task, just to even get started, what you're doing, and it can lead to kind of you know procrastination, you feeling like you're wasting time or that you're not optimizing your time in grad school. So I think it's um, important to note here that we actually have a couple of previous episodes on this idea about uh, procrastination um, and time management and also task understanding, which is part of planning. So I encourage you um, to check out those episodes. And something that Sarah just mentioned is important to keep in mind. Um, often when we procrastinate, it's because we don't know where to start or we're feeling overwhelmed. So taking the time to actually engage in this kind of planning um, activity or planning activities can really can really help with procrastination. Definitely. And I think that when you are self-regulating your learning, you're often engaging in task understanding and goal setting, because that's what SRL, self-regulated learning, defines planning as. And I think that can be really helpful for grad students to know is that there's a couple of different steps in planning. And then the doing is when you are choosing strategies that are based on your task understanding and the goals you've set as a result. So spending more time understanding the task can be a helpful way to break down what it is you have to do. And then those goals will help with motivation. And because I was self-regulating my learning in grad school while researching it and learning about it, sometimes I was also resistant to take that time to plan because it felt like it required extra effort or I thought it might be, to be honest, kind of a waste of time. And so I read this article recently in University Affairs where Elizabeth Wells says that academics should spend 25% of their time planning. And I thought that was kind of a really interesting uh, article to read to kind of put a number on it. So I'm curious what you think about that number. So I think that Dr. Wells is talking about academics in her article, but what do you think about for grad students in terms of how much time they should be spending planning? Do you think 25% is accurate? Do you think it's too much, too little? Yeah. So I was just kind of curious about that. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think um, it's hard for me to to give like a recommendation for for other people without like having looked at the research on how much time you should spend. So I haven't read that article, so I'm not 100% sure, but I don't disagree with it. I think that um, in like my work and in my studies, um, the more time that I have spent planning, like the more productive I have been. And I think it's also a shift in what you consider planning. I think sometimes we just think of planning as being like identifying um, what it is you're going to be doing in a particular time block but I don't think that like just the identification of the task is like this entirety of planning it's like what you are talking about in regards to understanding the task and then actually like picking strategies so I think spending the time to get ready before you actually do something saves you a ton of time in the end and this is I think something that I was going to say about planning is that I think um, often in our work lives and in our study lives, we um, become quite reactive um, and we are doing things because all of a sudden something is extremely urgent. And so we're just trying to get things done. Like you're just preparing for the next test. Like you're just preparing for the next like big hurdle that's like coming at you. Um, and if you can get ahead of that and be like strategic and think forward, then instead of being reactive, you can start to be proactive. And I find for myself, and I, I don't have any research to back this up, but I find for myself that my mental health um, is a lot better when I'm proactive rather than reactive. When I'm in the reactive space, I find myself like quite stressed and like, oh no, like what am I going to do? Like, how can I get this done? Try to like work outside of like my typical work hours just to try to get ahead and I think that um it is much more like adaptive and strategic to be in a more proactive space so I agree with the idea of spending a lot of time planning yeah yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting number. And I like how you even differentiated between, you know, there's kind of like maybe planning your time and then the actual planning work, which might be the revisiting your task, understanding, goal setting, choosing those effective strategies. And so for me, in, you know, with what I was saying earlier about kind of making sure that you're separate the planning and the doing. So something that worked really well for me in grad school, and I still use it today post PhD is planning for the next week on Friday afternoons. And that's more of the time planning, like what I'm actually going to be doing. And so I think when there's this, you know, idea of maybe 25% of your time for me, I'm not envisioning it as you spend the first 25% of your week planning and then the rest is the doing, but because you're hopefully engaging in these self-regulated learning processes and cycles that, you know, when you're sitting down in the morning to take a look at what you have to do, you have some planning there, then you maybe start a task, then you're like, oh, what do I have to do? And then maybe you go back into that planning mode. So it's kind of this reiterative cycle that is going to vary greatly for everyone, depending on where they are and what they're doing. But I think that's the first time that I'd ever seen a number put to it. And so I thought that would be an interesting thing to discuss about what we know about planning for yeah, I, I one thing that you just mentioned, this idea of kind of separating the like initial planning phase, I think is also a really useful strategy outside of graduate school as well. I think, um, like, for example, 
my partner and I have a small child. We both have full-time jobs. Like it's very difficult for us to kind of manage all of the elements of our life in like a um, productive way. And we have kind of implemented this weekly family meeting, which sometimes doesn't happen because we're too busy, but the weeks that it happens, um, I think we, because we plan for a week plan, we plan like who's making dinner, what do we need to get, what activities are going on, and just having that overview of the things to come really um, makes our lives just generally easier. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that we use planning in our lives, both in grad school and out of grad school. And I think, yeah, just to kind of wrap up this section, it kind of, it depends on how you feel when you do have weeks where maybe you have been able to be more proactive and then there's always going to be times and parts of your life where you have to be reactive. That's the way that things go. But, um, I think that, planning is such a big part of self-regulated learning and thus a really big part for grad students. Mm -hmm. And I think in a future episode, we'll probably talk about goal settings. There are more useful and less useful goals. So stay tuned for kind of more information about how to plan your life and your studies. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of nuances that uh, are there's a lot of nuances that are really important to consider in goal setting. And we have some experience and knowledge of goal setting kind of beyond smart goals, which I think are probably a type of goal that a lot of people have heard about, but there are other ways to set goals that are more specifically for academic goals. Today, our listener question is from a student who wants to get some advice on how to get things done while raising a family. I'm a first-year doctoral student who did their master's degree a few years ago. My partner and I have two kids. My partner is very supportive of my PhD and works full-time. Since I have more flexibility, I'm taking care of the kids. One is still at home two days a week and in daycare three days a week, and one kid is in school. My biggest problem is getting started on tasks that I need to do. I find it takes me a long time to get started, and when I'm home with my kid, I can get interrupted a lot, so often don't get anything done those two days. But the three days I do have to work, I find I'm wasting a lot of time because I don't want to get started or I don't know what to do. I have tried a couple of things that worked in my master's degree, but they don't seem to work now. Any tips to help? Okay. Well, this one, this is a big um, question. And it sounds like this um, listener is experiencing a whole bunch of different challenges. Like one challenge being procrastination, another challenge being kind of interruptions when um the kids are at home. I guess one question I have for this listener, and we don't have this information, but in the past, How old are could the kids? Be. I think that that also impacts like the strategies that you can use. Um, I have experience having a baby and toddler at home. I don't have any experience having a school age kid at home. I, but I think a lot of strategies that I've used um, in the past could be used for older kids as well. Yeah, I would. I would probably guess that. They have one kid in school, so one would be school age and the other kid being in daycare still. So probably a toddler is what I would guess for the other kid, right? Yeah. 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 I, th- I mean, I think to um, some of the 
like obviously like we're coming from a Canadian setting and we have like the um kind of generally in Canada um parents are able to stay home for the first year of their child's life, first year to 18 months. So like often for Canadian students, and I wouldn't say that's universally true, but often that is the case that parents are able to take 12 to 18 months of parental leave. And so um, often for Canadian students, like the real, like going back to school or going back to work really happens when the, when the child is um, like a toddler. For our American um, listeners, like some of, some parents are going back to work and their child is in daycare, like when this child is like only like six weeks old. So like this, there's like lots of different kind of nuances about like um, ch- children's age, but obviously like our listeners kind of are aware of that. Um, so I think uh, I'll share some strategies that like I have used um, as a parent and um, I I would say that something to know is that I, I have a toddler he's two and um, I went back to work when my toddler was 12 months old and I worked for the first year of his life or almost not quite first year but um, nearly the first year of his life um, with my toddler um, at home I worked part-time and that was a strategic decision because I couldn't work full time um, with a toddler at home or a baby at home. But um, I I worked with my child at home because I couldn't get daycare. It's really difficult to get daycare where we live. So um, for the first kind of part of his life and my work life, um, I was working with him at home. And I think um, I'm talking about work, but I think these strategies are transferable to studies. I don't think work and studies are like all that different. Like when you're a graduate student, you treat it like your work, right? Definitely. Yeah. And and maybe pr- even more likely for a PhD than a master's degree. Right. So, yeah. So um, I think a couple of things that I found, I have like a whole list, but one thing um, is that I noticed that my priorities changed when I went back to work with um, with my child being around, it became like, first of all, it became really important for me to separate work and home so being with my child so it was like when I was working I was working and when I wasn't working couldn't work like there was no possibility of me like using my brain for work um but I also like that shift made it so that when I was working I like had to get things done I absolutely 100% had to get things done Um, it wasn't optional um and something that we've just been talking about is this idea of planning. And I really, really relied on that. Like I did a lot of planning um, in order so that when I started a work session, I would have like two to three hours um, where my child was with my partner. Um, Cause that's how we kind of managed it is that we kind of shifted our days. So share with your partner, take turns. <laughs> so when I started working, I would know exactly what I was going to do. I just start doing it. Um, and even if I didn't feel like doing it, or even if it was like, not like, I felt like, even if I felt like I didn't fully understand what I needed to do, I just started. <laughs> and sometimes I think that's sometimes you just have to, you have to kind of just like push through. Um, and in regards to kind of that planning, like it also is important to plan like my my family's like life in order to make that those work sessions successful and possible so routine is like key um and that so that doesn't like work right away you can't just like with a child like have a routine in one day that takes like months and weeks and like 
to develop, um, but having a routine so you know exactly what time of the day it is that you're going to be working and you know what your child's going to be doing, who they're going to be with and kind of how, how that's going to go. And so I know that this, um, this listener does have their child in daycare. So obviously those daycare days are going to be like part of your routine. But when your child's home, like, is there a particular time of the day where they're napping? that's going to be a work session for you? Is there a particular time of the day where um, they do a certain thing where they're like really focused on that thing? Like that's probably going to be a time when you do some sort of work, right? Um, So for me, like nap time was like sacred. Like I put my child down for a nap and um, and then my partner who also worked from home would like take over like childcare. Um, But we would both kind of be working during nap time. Like I got this dedicated time to work and my partner, if the baby woke up, he would go get the baby. But um, it was like at one o'clock, that was our time. It was like one o'clock, baby is in bed. (laughs) Yep. And so I have a question for you with that, just because so I don't have kids, but from colleagues and friends who do have kids. So would you kind of consider like work you would get done during his nap time, like as kind of bonus time, just in case he didn't sleep the whole time or things like that? Like, would you kind of treat things that you wanted to do during the nap different nap time differently than when maybe your partner was taking care of the kid? That's a really good question. And I think that, um, if you are home alone, nap time is bonus time. Cause you never like, you can never be um, certain what will happen. You like have to be, you have to let go of like some of your expectations of like how things will go and just like realize at least I think for all of all of us our children are our priorities so like it's going to be like if you have to choose between one thing or another thing it's going to be the child so like making sure that when you have to be the primary caregiver that um, you plan things that you can you can drop if needed. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But um, for me, my partner was home and like, we had this like very clear understanding that like when baby went to bed, I started work. And so for me, nap time wasn't really a bonus during like that period in time. But now, um, now that I'm back at work full time, my child has daycare, which is glorious (laughs) Um, uh, on the weekends. Sometimes I do need, not necessarily like work work but like on the weekends I'll need to get things done during nap time and it is definitely feels like a bonus it's like baby went to sleep awesome get two hours to do some stuff the question I have also for this listener is like when can you be most productive like you we have this like um general understanding that you should work during work hours like eight to five or whatever your work hours are but that's not necessarily true when you have young children at home Do you need to be waking up before your child wakes up to do a work session? And when I talk about work sessions, I'm not talking about work day. I like used to plan things in two hour chunks. So if you have the plan and you have 10 two hour chunks that you can do over the next week, it's like find a two hour chunk, plunk in like what it is you need to do. So like, do do you need to work before they wake up? Like right now, um, my partner and I, our child often is sick from daycare. We love daycare, but often our child stays homesick and we both um, have some flexibility in our jobs which we're very very lucky about like lucky for but we don't have a lot of like family support in the area so when baby when our child is home like we are the parents like we can't like drop off with the grandparents so like my partner will start work at like 5 a.m he'll work from 5 to noon and I start at noon and finish at 8 or what have you so like thinking like can I be creative about when I work can I work before my child wakes up? Can I work after my child goes to bed? Can I work once my partner gets off of work? Like, could I plan an evening work session? Could I plan a weekend work session? Like what, 
kind of what does that um, look like? Um, yeah, and just, um, which I think, yeah, I think that that's a really good use of planning is looking at, you know, how many kind of 90 minute to two hour kind of work sessions can you fit in whether or not you have kids or a family, or maybe you're even, you're a single parent or, you know, whatever the structure of your family is that I think that's where the benefit of that time planning can come from, because it's also going to vary according to time of the semester, you know, what's going on with your, with your kids and with your partner and with your family. I know there were certainly times in grad school and Becca, you and I were working on projects at the same time like this, or we would have this where there were just some times that I had to work on Saturdays. I generally tried to avoid working on weekends, but sometimes I would be like, you know, I've just got too much going on during the week. It's going to be more stressful for me to try to jam everything in. So if I move, you know, two or three two hour work sessions to the weekend, that is going to take a lot of pressure off, but I'm going to put a time limit on that. I'm only going to do that for six weeks because I, it's also not sustainable to work six days a week, but I like what you said. Sometimes I have had to get up earlier to get work done or stay up later to get work done. And it's not because I'm working like 60 or 70 hours a week. It's just prioritizing and planning according to what time I have available that week. And I think that that's really a universal strategy for all grad students is, you know, if they have, you know, a weekly meeting with their family to kind of talk about that, or it's even like having a weekly meeting with yourself. What do I have coming up? What's my energy going to be like? You know, I really like going to the gym in the morning, or I really like going at the end of the day. So how can I fit in those priorities around what I have to do. Yeah. So just like keeping in mind that you are not just a grad student, you have like like multiple aspects of your life and prioritizing the aspects of your life that are important and then like fitting things in as you can. Um, But also knowing and realizing, like, and I appreciate the fact, Sarah, that you mentioned that we have like lots of families with different configurations. Like I'm very lucky because I have a partner who's really supportive, but like um, there will be people who are listening who, who don't have that. And I think um, realizing that sometimes things have to give, like it, maybe you need to cut down your hours at um, in school. Like it's possible that maybe for a semester or two, you might need to be part-time until like your child's back at daycare full-time or something like that. It's like that you have to be creative, think about what your priorities are and make sure that you, you hold on to like the things that are actually important. Um, I have, a, so we've been talking all about kind of planning and like like so far, but I have a few tips for when ch- children are home. So like knowing that um, when you have a child home, it can be really distracting if you're trying to work. So um, my first recommendation is like, don't work when your child is, you're the primary caregiver for your child. But like, I recognize that's not always possible. Um, so here are like a few just things that I've done when I've had to, had to get some work done with my child. So um, one thing is thinking about like how you can minimize interruptions from the child. Like, and this really depends on the child's age, but um, like, could you use TV strategically? I don't like to put my child in front of the TV. That's something that we hardly ever do. But when my child's home from school sick and I have to get some work done, I will put my child in front of the TV for an hour so that I can like sit with my child and kind of work while they're watching TV. Um, can you try to make sure that you have, um, a toy rotation going on? Like your children will get really sick of the same toys. Like if you have new toys to like pull out, that can really like help with the distractions. Um, here's an, uh, 
like an acquaintance uses the strategy. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but an acquaintance like her um, toddler like loves bath time. And so she will plop her toddler in the bath and sit beside the bathtub with her computer and work and um, while the toddler is in the bath playing. And so like that, that's also an option. Obviously you want to do that safely um, with computers in the bathroom. Like I'm a little bit worried, but <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. There's a lot of things that parents have to do to get this, to get this done. And yeah, this is the reality I think of where we are today. So yeah. Do what you need to do. I also think um, this goes back to planning a little bit, like in a time block chunk where you're anticipating interruptions, like what should you work on? Like there are different tasks that you could work on. Like if I'm anticipating interruptions, I'll do things like emailing or planning for the next day. I won't sit down and try to do a dedicated like work session. I'll just try to get some of the little tasks off my list. Yeah. Cause you'd probably feel just to interject here. You'd probably feel very frustrated if you're, if you're trying to get tasks done. And maybe this is the case for the listener is if you're you know, on those two days where the kid is at home, if you're like, oh, okay, this is where I'm going to start writing a conference proposal or some of that more cognitively intensive work, if it's just making you feel frustrated, usually negative, ne- yeah, usually negative emotions are demotivating, which is going to make it harder for you to continue getting that work. So it also may, like you've said, it's, you know, planning your tasks strategically so that when your kid is home, if you do need to work, when they're around, do tasks where you can be interrupted frequently. Yeah, um, exactly. The If you have a really young baby, like some some strategies you can use are working with baby and the baby carrier. So stand, doing like a standing work session while baby is like on your body, like sleeping on your body. Um, can, can you do, use your phone to work if needed? Like that's another thing. Like if you have a child who's sleeping on you, this is something that happened to me frequently when my child was young. Um, my child wanted to like sleep in my arms. So like I didn't get a nap time work session with my computer, but I could have done some work on my phone, like doing your reading or something like that. Um, So those are just like a few strategies for when you actually have the child with you. But one really big one that I'll mention that I use all the time is, um, and this relates to planning and thinking about when you can actually get dedicated work done. So um, I like to treat my toddler like he is a roommate rather than a guest. And that means that my roommate is involved in like our daily life and our daily activities. So my my roommate helps me to clean. My my toddler loves to do laundry, loves to sweep the floor. My roommate also goes to the grocery store with me and helps me pick like food and things like that. And so by doing that, and I don't, I heard this like phrasing from someone and I can't remember where it's from, but by doing that, um, the things that often like parents think that they need to do by themselves and like have dedicated time for, I don't need dedicated time because my toddler is along for the ride. We clean together. We do laundry together. We fold laundry together. My toddler loves matching socks. And so (laughs) by like moving those items that like you think you need to do by yourself to being activities that you do as a family, um, you get different types of like free time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that hopefully this listener got some ideas kind of around those really great strategies and just sharing your experience with that, Becca. And I think, like we said, I think there's a lot of things in here that are universal for all grad students. And I liked the caveat you gave at the beginning that, you know, you and I have different perspectives on this question while living in Canada where parental leave is often something that is available. And, uh, 
we also recognize that there are, again, international students in Canada don't have access to parental leave or many of them do, many of them do not. People who are living in other countries may not have access to this and raising a family and being a grad student is something that a lot of people do and it shouldn't be a deterrent to getting uh, or towards working towards your own goals as an individual. We're going to jump into a couple of hot tips um, kind of related to planning. So I'm going to pass it over to Sarah to share our first hot tip. So my first hot tip is just diving a little bit deeper into what we've been talking about throughout this episode, but it's really something that I share with all of the grad students that I work with is to really make sure that you separate doing from planning, especially if you are finding that you're not getting the work done that you want to. And so there's kind of three parts of that that I've written a previous blog about, and I will put that link in the show notes. But there's three aspects that are really important about the planning aspect, which is about task understanding. So if you're, this is, this tip is for those grad students, kind of like our listener, that's really having trouble getting started or knowing what to do. So first make sure that you revisit the tasks often to avoid procrastinating. So if you have this task that's been lingering on your to-do list for a really long time, and it keeps getting shoved over to a different day, that's probably a good task to revisit. What is this task? Why am I doing this? and revisiting it to hopefully help you get a better understanding of what it is you have to do so that you can move forward to working on it. And the second part, so link to that, is making sure make sure you're asking the right questions about those tasks. So things like, what is the purpose of this? Why am I doing this? Why do I want to get this done? Who am I doing this task for? What is the outcome I want of this task? Those are all questions that can help increase your task understanding, which can then increase your motivation. And finally, and this one is a big one, and I know for me in grad school, this was one that I didn't do as often as I should have, but try to avoid making task assumptions. So often we may get a task given to us by our supervisor or in a course, or we're working with a colleague on a project. And they say, okay, you know, Sarah, you do A and I'm going to do B. And I jump to a bunch of conclusions about what A looks like because I don't ask these questions. And I just think I have the right idea about it. So I don't maybe look at the notes or things like that. And then I show up at the next meeting. And what I have done is very different than what was actually supposed to be done. So often we make those task assumptions when we feel like we're rushed for time or we don't want to spend that time looking at it. We just want to get it done and get it off our to-do list, but that actually can end up costing a lot of time in the long run. Um, so my hot tip is also about planning, but it's a little bit more about like prioritization. Um, so I recently saw um, this kind of analogy on a like a Montessori parenting Instagram page that I follow. Um, and that um, Instagram page is called Home and On the Way. And I can link it in the show notes. Um, it's interesting. It talks about 
Montessori. Um, and but it, this kind of tip originally came from a Q&A with the author Nora Roberts. And I, I haven't really like read the Q&A with the author, but um, basically the analogy is um, that we are all juggling a whole lot of balls in our lives. Some of those balls are plastic balls and some of those balls are glass balls. Um, and uh, so both are priorities. You want to keep all your balls in the air, like as you're juggling. But um, if a plastic ball drops, it's okay because it'll bounce. But if a glass ball drops, it's going to shatter. So you need to take some time to think, what are my plastic balls and what are my glass balls? And sometimes um, there are kid balls. Like kid, This is kind of a, from a parenting perspective, but you could look at this from even if you're not a parent, it doesn't really matter. But like there are some kid balls that are plastic and they will drop. And then there are some kid balls that are glass and they will shatter. And that's true for like studies as well. There are some steady balls that are plastic and they'll bounce and some steady balls that are glass and they'll shatter. So figuring out like which, what your, what your glass balls are and what your plastic balls are. Like for me, um, like going to a work meeting and like being present in that meeting and like leading a, a successful meeting, it, that's a glass ball. Like I am not going, to, I'm going to hold that one up no matter what. Um, but also my child, like if they wake up from a nap and they're really upset and crying, like I, I don't tend to leave my child crying. I, I, that's also a glass ball. I need to go to that child right away. So if I have two glass balls that are like conflicting, I need to find someone to support me. So like I would never be in a meeting and also trying to care for my child at the same time. I would make sure that I had someone else like available to take that glass ball on. So knowing what your glass balls are and what your plastic balls are can really help you to prioritize when you need help when you don't need help and kind of just like plan out your, your life. Yeah. I really, I really like that. And I think it's, yeah, it's like, so when you're doing that planning and prioritizing and kind of that time planning or that initial planning that we talked about, you don't want to have two glass balls happening at the same time. So for me, you know, working with students, I'm not going to be telling someone, Oh, you can reach me by phone at the same time because I need to be giving that attention and care to the grad students I'm working with or the same when I'm instructing in the classroom. I would never say, oh, let's, ha let's have a Zoom meeting during the time I'm teaching that, you know, that wouldn't fit. And so sometimes aligning, aligning those priorities can be really important. Yeah. And I, sometimes you'll have to be juggling more than one glass ball at the same time. Yes, but like that's maybe true. That means that you need to have a whole lot less plastic balls on the go. <laughs> Exactly. It's like what, yeah, what, what's your ideal number? And then what, what are the yeah. fluctuations that you can manage? That brings us to the end of our hot tips kind of section. Um, next week, we'll be answering another listener question. And this listener um, is in a master's degree program after working for about a a decade. They're in their top choice program, which is in the same city in which they live, which is very lucky, very exciting. Um, they are finding um, it a bit intimidating to be working with classmates who have just finished their undergraduate degree, and they're also finding it difficult to manage the workload. Um, so there's more details provided by that listener, but we will go into those details next week. Thank you so much for listening to this second episode of our second season of the How to Grad School podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe so other grad students can find out about our podcast. 
You can visit our website, howtogradschool.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter and read our blog where we go into more depth about our podcast topics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at howtogradschool.com.